Welcome to Virtual Economy, a podcast about the business of games for the rest of us. We're your hosts. I'm Amanda Farrow. And I'm Michael Footer. On each episode, we'll bring you analysis of the biggest business beats in video gaming news. This is episode 168. Switch to Switcheroo could thwart 2024 recovery hopes. The fact that I got through that without stumbling. One take. One take. One take. I'm proud of you. That was a mouthful, Michael. Switch to switcheroo? Sw- no, it's the, it's the thwart. It oh, actually hold on. We is thwart. That I know, I know. And you said thwart. Thwart is good. Thwart is good to look at. Thwart is bad to say. So I'm sitting here and I'm stumbling over it in my brain and I'm like, be cool, be cool, be cool, be cool. <laughs> you did it though. But I, but I did it and it was okay. But before we continue, this episode is sponsored by Magic Mind, a supplemental shot that includes ingredients to lower your stress, reduce fatigue, and boost your immune system. And we'll talk more about that later, but we are kicking off this episode with Sony earnings for third quarter of fiscal 24. So this is the holiday quarter, October through December. As usual with a company of this magnitude and this diversity, we'll, we'll tackle the parent company finances first, and then we'll dive into the gaming bits. Yep. So Sony revenue for a third quarter climbed 22% to 3.75 trillion yen, or 24.9 billion US dollars. Operating income increased 10% to 463.3 billion yen, or 3.08 billion US dollars. And net income increased 13.6% to 294.8 billion yen, or 1.96 billion dollars. So, let's talk about games and network services. Oh, no. And it's actually not the numbers that I'm interested in here. Yeah, okay, the numbers help tell a story. They always do. That's why we cover them. But it was the comments by uh, Chairman Hiroki Totoki, who I believe is stepping in as interim CEO when Jim Ryan leaves at the end of this fiscal year, that uh, I do want to point out. All right. So, according to Totoki, we've entered the later years for the PlayStation 5. Not a surprise. No, I mean it's been out now for three this plus is years. yeah for for four, just actually, over sorry, three years. Four holiday seasons. Yeah, four holiday seasons, three years. So it's not surprising that I mean I think I talked I talked about this on the Engaged Family Gaming podcast as well. Mm-hmm. Like normally the tech life cycle is about eight years. Yeah, I think if you look at what happened with the Xbox 360, and we are going to talk about this in depth, our, our last thing of the show, it kind of loops us back around to the to the episode title, where we'll, we have a lot of things to talk about. But the Xbox 360 dragged on too long. I think everybody was ready for that thing to trot off into the sunset. And I mean, the, the PlayStation 2 also dragged on for a really long time. And it's not to say that people were tired of it because I think that the PlayStation 2 was just such a beloved system. I, I think there were enough things that happened in the in the PlayStation 2 and Xbox generation that during that generation moved the console, our understanding of what consoles could do for it. And, and by that, I mean uh, Final Fantasy, uh, well, actually, EverQuest Online Adventures. I love that you bring that up. Well, I mean, because that's that is where that is where things kind of started with MMOs on console, and then Final Fantasy Eleven. Yeah, for me, it was Final Fantasy Eleven. I I don't know if I would look at EverQuest Online Adventures as a 
as a baseline marker, considering its player base was much, much smaller than Final I, Fantasy XI. I mean, for, for me, it's like, that was, okay, so PlayStation 2 comes out. It's got this port in the back, right? Uh-huh. The first thing that they sell is the Ethernet adapter. I remember. Right? And then with Final Fantasy XI, they sold the hard drive. And you clicked the hard drive into the Ethernet adapter, right? Yeah. On the Xbox side, that console shipped with an Ethernet port that did not work, had no purpose at launch. And then I was actually part of the Xbox Live beta, and then Xbox Live launched, played a ton of Mech Assault and Unreal Tournament, and... I enjoy um, the way that you say tournament. Can you say that one more time? Tournament. She's been doing this a lot, folks. (laughs) What was the one that you had me saying? Package. It was package. Package. It was very funny. So that's Sorry. right. Showing my package on the Virtual Economy Podcast. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait Hold a second. On. Hold, Hold on. on. This is a family-friendly this show. Is a, no, it's, no, it's really not. That's but right. it's also not that kind of a show. Right. Anyway. So, anyway, so yeah. So so talking about how we viewed generational life cycles. But this is, we're at a point now where this thing launched in 2020. What's made it weird is that supply issues really slowed what we would consider the start of the generation. But we are in a situation now where... With economies opening up and things catching up and everything, yeah, we're we're at year four. This is time. This is time where things start in to tip theory, into yeah into you're established. You got your late adopters and laggards who are starting to pick up consoles because they're able to now. Go ahead. But normally at this point in the life cycle, we're seeing aggressive bundling. Mm-hmm. We're seeing price drops. The last generation, we were also seeing our our mid-generation our incremental hard, refreshes, hardware yeah. refresh, right? So, when we were starting to to get, like, the Xbox um, the Xbox One X and... Well, remember, there was the S before. So the Xbox so, yeah, it three, was, the Xbox One had three that's right. different moments. All right. This is all tease for the end of the show. I don't want to go too, more, too much into the weeds on this topic right now because we are going to be talking about this in depth later on. All right. So... Uh, sales for games and network services at play at Sony increased 16% in third quarter to 197.9 billion yen or 1.32 billion us dollars. So that was largely thanks to, to strong third party titles and add on content as well as foreign exchange rates still favorable for Sony. You are going to see this theme where things shift. Now it's like, Oh, third party titles are taking over. Add on content is taking over. First party titles are taking a little bit of a backseat. Again, hold on to that because that's going to be important. Operating income dipped sharply by 26%, and that's even with uh, foreign exchange tailwinds helping. Operating income was 30.1 billion yen or $200.4 million. According to Sony, this is due to hardware losses due to promotions. Back to what Manda just said. At this point in the generation, in fact, I remember going up when I was a game informer uh, to the loft in New York that Xbox had, and they had bundles upon bundles for every holiday season. And the reason they were able to do that is because as generations go on, you have, you are realizing savings from components, components. and manufacturing process. Yeah. Your components get cheaper as time goes on. Your manufacturing Because they're older. Because they're older. And manufacturing process gets more streamlined because your factories are used to doing it. Right? They can make them faster. They can make them cheaper. We are not seeing that. We are so not when you have that. promotions being used to drive sales, again, remember, it's the Razor and Razor Blades model. So your console is your loss leader. And software is where you make up on the losses that you that you take. So you get people in the door with affordable hardware, and then you make it up on licensing fees on software. Man, 
if this is quote unquote affordable hardware, we are in trouble. Again, hold on to that thought. Manda's absolutely right, and it speaks to the refresh issue that we may be that we may be facing. Again, hold that thought. Okay, hold on. I'm holding it. Hold it. And it's in. Great. Um, so the reason why there are losses is because they were if consoles are sold as loss leaders, that means they're losing money on every console sold. If we are at 2020, holiday 2023, mm-hmm. and that hasn't been, those costs haven't been realized, those cost savings haven't been realized, rather, we, this is setting the stage and helping to paint a very clear picture of where things are this generation. It is not great news. Additionally, decrease in sales of first party titles. Um, however, again, buoyed by strong third party software performance. So, 2023, as we know, was an amazing year for games, terrible year for the game industry. Uh, but sales are sales of software doing well. Sony did miss on hardware sales in the third quarter, only selling 8.2 million. And again, that's with aggressive promotions. So while that's up from 7.1 million units the year before, when things were still a little bit supply constrained, it does mean that Sony will not hit its ambitious 25 million unit goal for the year. We had questioned this in Q2, said a a strong holiday quarter, depending on what happens, could be very potent for them. They didn't hit it. So they're going to miss that. They are now dropping their outlook, likely to somewhere in the 22 to 23 million unit range. Mm-hmm. Additionally, the company's dropping its revenue forecast for the segment by 5%, though it expects to reach its operating income target. Again, operating income then being a, com- a comparison of your operating revenue versus your operating expenses. So if they're able to keep expenses in line, and we know they've had layoffs at some Sony-owned studios, then that's how you get there. So... Going back to Totoki's comments, he said that Sony needs to be more aggressive on PC. This, now remember, he's going to be taking over for Jim Ryan. Jim Ryan was very much of the belief that we have to keep software exclusive to our console for a period of time before releasing it on PC. The PC thing is brand new. Brand new at the end of last generation. Yeah, it is. And here we are, Totoki saying, hey, you know what? Maybe we need to be doing what Microsoft is doing with day and date and releasing on Steam. So for Microsoft, of course, they have their own PC storefront. Well, it's not even, it's not even just that, like Microsoft literally owns Windows. Mm -hmm. Like they have an immense amount of vertical integration that no other gaming company has. Yep. And, you know, from Microsoft's perspective, and we've talked about this in the past, they view PC gamers as their customers. Yeah. As well, they should. And quite frankly, Sony can do that too. And they and they are now. I mean, there are PC players. Look, I love the double dip. I'm, I'm the sucker. I'm the sucker. I love that he's like readily admitting that here and now, knowing full well that he's readily admitted this like half a dozen times on well, a dozen look, I don't expect shows. you to have listened to every episode of this podcast, so it's important that you know if you're a first-time listener that I'm a sucker. <laughs> um, I think with the release of Helldivers 2, which again we'll talk about uh, in Milestones because, boy, it's been blowing stuff up. Uh, and good news, by the way, for Helldivers 2 fans, they increased the server cap to 700,000. Hey! Um, and also I was not planning on buying until the servers smoothed out, but they actually beat the crap out of a transphobe and said, go away. Uh, so it's like, Hey, you know what? I mean, they ejected a toxic transphobic fan from their community. Let's, let's, let's be real here. Like they banned this person on discord. Beat the crap out of them in the digital sense. Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, additionally, Totoki said that, uh, stated that there will be no major PlayStation first party titles through March, 2025. That's an entire year. The fiscal year begins April 1, 2024. The fiscal year ends March 31, 2025. Essentially what Totoki is saying, Hey, we're in a rebuilding year. Um, 
I mean, now that doesn't mean there's nothing major releasing. Obviously, Final Shape, which is uh, the next major Destiny expansion and wraps up the 10-year story of the Light and Darkness story. Uh, sorry, I'm not going to go down my, my Destiny rabbit hole. Yeah, right definitely now. don't do that right now. But Michael, this is not a video game podcast. I recognize that. And they just announced, like, oh, they're selling, like, there's some updates coming for Spider-Man. We're expecting some Spider-Man 2 DLC. They're doing a, a pack with game heads for, for costumes. Like, there's, it's not I mean, that there's nothing coming. I mean, that's really great. It is. Because we love game heads. Yes. It's, n- it's not like there's nothing coming, but major first-party tentpole releases aren't happening. So that means, folks, we are not seeing a new God of War. We are not seeing Wolverine. Like mm-hmm. this is this is gonna be a quiet year. Yep. For first party. Yes. Third party is gonna kill it. Yeah. Now here's the one that has me again, the reason why I, I dipped my toe in the uh Destiny rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Totoki also had some tough words for Bungie. He had visited the studio. He praised the studio's creativity, but said that the company needs better accountability for development timelines and delays, as well as better management of business expenses. Now, there have been a lot of reports about this. When Bungie was acquired by Sony. They managed something that I did not think was was possible, but the strength of Destiny at the time and the strength of the studio's pedigree enabled them to maintain a firewall of independence. Think about Blizzard of Old. Right. Blizzard of Old is like what we're talking about in 2000 in the 2000s, right. quite frankly, Where, because in the or even 2010- in the early, early 2010s, 2010s. I you know what? We were already starting to see those cracks bleed. Right. But but if you follow that trajectory, so Blizzard pretty much, Mike Morham ran Blizzard. Yes, he, he was accountable into the Activision Blizzard C-suite. You know, all of that stuff is true. And but, he was accountable for all of the toxic behavior that happened underneath him. I think that's really important because as much as I like Mike Morham as a human being, like, we can't, we can't no. just sweep that under the rug. Agreed. So... If you look at what happened with Blizzard where the firewall started to crumble when they hit a point of not being able to ship and having quality issues. Warcraft 3, when that came back, the remastered version of Warcraft 3 was panned because it was so, it was, it just didn't live up to what it should have. They weren't able to ship Diablo 4 for years and years and years and years. There were problems upon problems upon problems. There was a period where WoW was declining even with new expansions. All those things seem to, seem to have righted a bit. Yeah, I mean, MMOs are, are, are a weird creature anyway, mm-hmm. just in general. It's not like, they're not like regular live service games. And this is one thing that I really do kind of want to impress upon folks that don't, that don't play MMOs, mm-hmm. that didn't grow up playing MMOs like I did. It very much is kind of an engagement boom and bust Mm -hmm. because you're going to have a lot of engagement in the lead up to new expansions and new big content drops. And you're going to have that taper off Yep. and then you're going to have it rise again and then it's going to taper off. And like, that is, that is normal. It is. And it's even more potent when you've got somebody like Yoshi P who is producer and director on Final Fantasy 14 saying, go away. Yeah. It's okay to go away and play other stuff and come back when we have more stuff for you. And that kind of permission is important for players. I wrote about this on LinkedIn. You and I will talk about this in the reader que- in their listener questions mm. as well. Um, so Bungie kind of on that same trajectory, though, as Blizzard, to bring yes. this back around, where Destiny 2 is not in a great place right now. No, and there are a lot of reasons for that, unfortunately. Yep. Like, look, <clears throat> sorry, Mike and I play Destiny. Oh, yeah. He plays a lot more than I do yes. because I 
my first love is always going to be indie games and that's where I spend the vast majority of my time. Um, but Destiny 2 has a lot has a lot of of issues with its first time user experience mm-hmm. and its returning user and its experience. returning user experience. It has a number of issues around the ways in which you know levels are designed in terms of you know verticality. I'm looking at you, uh, all of your jumpings, and yeah. I'm a Titan. And listen, Titans get the poopy end of the stick yeah, when it you comes really to do. that. I'm so sorry. At least you got the good armor for the Mass Effect crossover. Yeah, I gotta buy that. I haven't bought it yet. Yeah, I gotta, I might still buy my Liara stuff. Anyway, so uh, Destiny 2 has a number of issues. It's a, it's a, it's a decent game. It's fun. There is, Bungie does, Bungie does action like no other studio does action and it does story like no other studio does story. That is what they're best at, but man alive, they still need a lot of help. Yep. So all of that is to say that if things don't get better at Sony or at Bungie, we could see Sony exercise. And again, we haven't read these clauses, but we know there are clauses in the contracts that, that are effectively, Hey, if you don't meet these benchmarks, we're, we're going to come in, the firewall in. comes down, you are now accountable. You are no longer independent. So there's there there was a uh, a very parental threat in that in the statements as they were translated. Yeah, we're going to take the door. <laughs> well, it was more like either you fix it or we come in and fix it. Yeah, that's what I said. Or yeah. we'll take the door. We'll take the door. Exactly. All right. Now, to be clear, we don't do that as parents. Oh, no, God. But I definitely had, I, I've definitely heard those threats levied against other children when I was a kid. Like, yeah. my parents didn't do that, but. Now, we I, have ladder matches in this house. <laughs> yeah, we, listen, we solve our problems with fighting games in this house. <laughs> that's not, that's not a lie. All right. That was a, a long intro. That was a long start to this show, but there's a lot of table setting for stuff we're going to be talking about through the rest of the episode and, quite frankly, through the rest of this year. Yeah, it's definitely the kind of episode where you're going to need to buckle up because after we're done with Starbreeze, which is coming up in just a second, we are going to be talking about Embracer Group. Oh, let the hate flow through you. Yeah, so hold on to your butts. But before you grab that butt, let's talk about Starbreeze. <laughs> Always be grabbing that butt. Virtual economy. I'm putting that on a mug. All right, let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> it's that first sip of coffee. Yeah, well, that's that's why I did it. Because yep. I really wanted you to, like, do a spit take, but, like, on, like, live you're, on the podcast. You're sitting right in front of me. You really want me to do a coffee spit take? You want me to caffeinate your whole body? I don't think I want that, no. Okay, now well. that I'm thinking about it, no, actually, I So don't. let's breathe some stars. Let's breathe some stars. We're going to be talking about full year for fiscal 23 as well as Q4. So let's start up with Q4. So net sales for Starbreeze were 69.2 million SEC or $6.7 million US, which is an increase of 49% year over year, most of which is attributable to the payday games. In fact, 78% of it. Remember, there's still... Now there, it looks like we'll, no, we'll talk no, about this. We, a couple more eggs, but there's, there's, there's a, lot, a lot. There's that one big egg, that one big payday egg sitting in their basket. It's the golden goose. It's the golden goose for them right now. But here's the deal: despite strong sales and a strong quarter, Starbreeze is still operating at a 91.5 million sec or 8.85 million dollar U.S. loss, which is significantly higher than Q4 2022's losses at 12.2 million sec or 1.18 million dollars. So. 
they they were pretty clear that this is like this is development costs, this is R and D costs. You know, we're we're realizing costs that are you know that are attributable to payday three coming out, and mm-hmm. it's like, all right, great, that's fine, good for your golden goose. We love this for you. And listen, Mike and I have been. If this is your first episode with us, Mike and I have been following the Starbreeze story now for it'll be six years this year. Yeah, when they went into um, following the failed launch of the Walking Dead Overkill. It went, they went back even further than that, mm-hmm. um, in 2028 or sorry, in 2018, not 2028. It's not even 2028 now, Amanda. Amanda's from the future. I am. No, I'm really not. If I was from the future, man, that'd be, that'd be really weird. Uh, so yeah, we've been following it since 2018 after they finished realizing revenue from Dead by Daylight. And mm. as everybody knows, Dead by Daylight makes mad cash money Just for behavior. Just an Iron Maiden crossover. You know what? I love that for them. Yeah. I love that for them. Behavior is like full of great people. It mm-hmm. just, it's so good. Um, so anyway, there were a number of bets that Starbreeze made for this past quarter, including Turtle versus Turtle, which is a Fortnite island. And that launched. There was a publishing deal announced for God's TV. RoboQuest 1.0 came out on PC and Xbox, as well as on Game Pass. A licensing deal was finalized with Dungeons and Dragons for a new project. Interesting. Which is very Interesting. The first DLC for Payday 3 came out. An early access launch for The Tribe Must Survive will be... I think it came out just a couple of days ago. All right. Here's my prediction for the D&D thing. So you know the scene in Honor Among Thieves? Yes. Where there, where it's a heist? Can yes. you imagine a D&D version of Payday where it's a heist? That, Everything's a heist? That might get me to play it. I, I Here's the thing. That's that's an amazing headline. It's It's... Because I have no interest. D&D Payday from the creators of Payday, actually, that, that prints money. I would open my wallet for that, so to speak. I would open my digital wallet for that. Like, that, to me, is deeply interesting. Because Payday, I've played it, and it's like, yeah, it's okay. I, I, I have tried it a number of times, and it is never it's just for me. It's just not for me. And it isn't because the gameplay's bad. The gameplay's fine. It's just that I... Okay, I'm going to I'm going to show at least part of my ass on this on this podcast. I also don't play Grand Theft Auto games very often cuz I don't like playing as criminals. <laughs> I know. I know. This is from the person who plays a bard and giggles every time uh vicious mockery. Vicious mockery comes out. <laughs> she doesn't she doesn't like playing villains, but she will insult you into your grave. I, I will. I will cause an immense amount of psychic damage. You shatter the poor child's mind. Not 20. Let's go. <laughs> um, I really like playing bards. But look, I'm, I I just, it's not, I can play fantastical criminals. Oh. Like, I can play my weird little chaotic good bard, right? Like, I can play as Shayri, and she's wonderful, and we love her. And I can play even as, like, a neutral druid but i'm very bad at playing evil characters just in general because it i have an overdeveloped sense of empathy and compassion so it's hard for me i like writing good villains i just don't like playing them so anyway that's that's my feeling about payday Mm -hmm. so anyway let's uh let's move on to what the full year for 2023 looked like for starbreeze Net sales for the full year for 2023 amounted to 633.5 million sec or 61.3 million dollars US, most of which is attributable to Payday 3. Not a surprise. Not a surprise. 
Sales were up 14.1% year over year for payday two, which is very cool across mm-hmm. all storefronts. So clearly they still have healthy long tail sales for payday two. Oh yeah. Again. Remember, we, this is a game where they stopped development they on, ex- on, on expansions and then they're like, uh, we need money. We're going to keep developing new expansions for payday two, it, which well, was smart. It was is, really smart. They, they ended up, it wasn't an abandoned game by any no, no, stretch no, no. of they the were just, imagination. They just ended development. It had been years and years and years. It's, but the, it, the game had lived it its life. It still was so one. popular mm-hmm. and they weren't sure because Starbreeze wasn't sure about the future of its company. Mm-hmm. No, they had, to do, Katie, they had to do. I, I would go so far as to say the decision to go back and create new content for Payday Two in a period where Payday Three was going to be that much longer was the thing that saved this company. It was really, really intelligent. In addition to selling off a lot of their publishing deals. Yeah. So, anyway, so remember sales, they were supposed to be the publisher of Psychonauts too. I do remember that. In fact, so that's what sales looked like. Um, costs were up quite a bit, so sixty point five percent year over year to three hundred nine point three million sec or twenty nine point nine million dollars us but quite frankly that's game development for you game development is expensive if you are building big experiences and payday Mm -hmm. 3 is not small there were a number of personnel changes that we want to highlight chairman of the board of directors uh, attorney hellstrom announced that he will not be available for re-election as a result uh starbreeze proposed to appoint jurgen goldner as the new chairman of the board of directors, they will be voting on that in the next general meeting of the shareholders at some point in the next couple of months. Starbreeze is also really staffing up for Project Baxter, which is their new D&D game, and it is on track to release in 2026. So looking at the numbers and looking at that timeline, it is very likely that those that spike in costs were startup costs related to a major licensed project. Correct. It does seem to be the case. So listen, we don't stand companies in this house. We don't stand corporations in this house. But honestly, just for a second, I'm really proud of these folks because they really did pull it. They really did pull it together, even though things were dicey as heck. They are managing to make lemonade from lemons. Although I will say this. Thank you, Starbreeze, for giving me a reason to call Sweden and speak to the to the police (laughs) in Sweden. Right, because you covered that for Game Daily. Yes. Oh, when man. there was the financial, I had to call the financial crimes division. Yeah, because there there were some there were some arrests made. Yeah. All right. Let's. Uh, speaking of arrests. Oh, what an accidental segue she had. Uh, Embracer Group earnings for third quarter of fiscal twenty four. The bloodbath continues. Oh my god. Okay, um, so before we jump into this, listen, folks. We know a mm. lot of you are former Embracer folks. We know a lot of you have been affected by layoffs. If this is going to make your blood boil, just fast forward. Yeah, well, remember timestamps are always in the show notes, so you can uh, you can see. We where, do that to, to the next we thing. do that to make sure that you that your mental health is safe. Yep. All right, we are going to be talking a lot about the difference between growth and organic growth, especially when and this is something if you've heard us cover Embracer before. When you acquire a company, and we talked about this with Microsoft as we well, did indeed. You you. All of their earnings and all of their expenses are accretive to your own, your your the stuff that you had previously. Mm-hmm. However, when the reason in organic growth is important is because it, it shows us, okay, if you strip the acquisitions out of it that didn't exist a year ago, where are we? Where are we and, now? And, you know, Embracer has always been very good about reporting 
growth. Or, organic yes and, and in calling that out to their detriment this time it is indeed because i don't know if y'all have been paying attention but those dominoes have been falling now for a full year yeah so net sales increased four percent to 12.05 bsec or 1.15 billion us but not really Nope. This is still related to the acquisition bender that Large Wind Force went on. So organic growth was actually I love a, that you call it a bender. It was a bender. Dude woke up and he's like, oh God, where did all these empty companies come from? <laughs> Somebody's got to kick them out of my house. Yeah. Oh, dude. Oh, I, what I did really, I do last night? I really night? drank all these companies? <clears throat> like a corporate vampire? <laughs> you know what? I earned that. <laughs> considering what I did earlier in this episode with him drinking his coffee. You know what? I earned that. I'm going to sit back here just in case I end up like doing an actual spit thing. Yeah. So they lost 4% organically year over year. Wingeforce said, quote, you can debate the speed we went to build organic growth, but the ambition was obviously to aggressively organically grow the company. Now we need to adjust for that. All right, let's fucking talk about this. Oh because my this God. Is absolutely batshit motherfucking crazy, and I I don't usually swear on this podcast. Not like certainly that not either. like that. Acquisitions are not organic growth, as we as we just explained. So what he's saying is, we wanted to buy these companies so we could grow, so that we could keep growing them. That is the best possible read. But in this statement, it's like he doesn't even know what organic growth is. Because this is, it's not ag- aggressive organic growth. This no, was just, just aggressive growth. growth. Organic growth. It, okay. Okay. This is the, this is the emperor trotting around buck ass naked right now. There are no clothes. There never, see, but there never were. Yeah. Just put your dingle away. <laughs> put your dingle away. <laughs> wow. Put tiny Lars away. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's going to get, that's, that's going to get soundbited somewhere. Good. Dang. We're, so we're all about it in this house. I, I this this was the one that, that keeps this is this is liter- literally like this is haunting this us. Is, this is just ugh. this is haunting us, and it it is one of these things where it is this is not the only company that did this. No, no, but that's but for this another is time. The, but this is the company that did it the worst. Yes, and actually because they be, and we've talked about this with Sweden before. In fact, on this show we've talked about Sweden and how investors in Sweden looked at Embracer as a great model and forced other Swedish companies to do this. We'll talk more about that in about six months. <laughs> so let's break this down a little bit. PC console games were down 9% organically to 3.4 BSEC or 323.7 million US. Mobile games were up 4% to 1.64 BSEC, 157.3 million US. But wait, they were actually down 10% organically. Tabletop. The one good embracer investment because Asmodee Asmodee prints money. Prints it. I don't love the Asmodee conglomerate, by the way. I do not either. But I gotta tell you, the uh, like they they know how to make money. So that even though they are this giant conglomerate that just chews up companies. I was so sad when they bought Fantasy Flight, by the way. I I think I do I do also believe it had a negative impact on Fantasy Flight. I agree. That's 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 another another conversation for another Uh, time. So tabletop was up seven percent. This is organic and regular because like Asmodee is the only tabletop they own. So up seven percent to four point three B sec or four hundred twenty three point nine million US. Now I want to compare something real quick. Okay. PC and console games, three point four B sec. Yep. Tabletop 4.43 BSEC. Embracer Group's largest contributor to revenue is Tabletop Games right now. 
Entertainment and services were up 12% to 2.6 BSEC or 249.5 million US, but actually uh, down 2% organically. In one of the most tone-deaf moments from a CEO, CEO who already cannot carry a tune in a bucket, CEO Lars Winchfors said that layoffs are, quote, something everyone needs to go through, and quote, our overruling principle is always to maximize shareholder value in any situation. So when I read this, when I read this, we were at Dice, and I almost threw my phone across the hotel room because I was, I was sick on Thursday morning. I wasn't feeling good. And I almost threw my phone across the room. I was so angry. I was so angry because no, layoffs are not something that everyone has to go through. I don't believe that for a moment. I'd like to, I'm going to do it. I mean, if everybody has to go through it, it's your turn, Lars. Yep. It's definitely your turn. You should be taking all the pay cuts. You should lose your job. Additionally, I want to, I want to highlight a company that I tend to highlight a lot when we talk about layoffs. Yep. Certain Affinity. Yep. You bring them up often. All the time. Because the way that Certain Affinity handles its business is so laudable. They do not bring a single person onto the team, a single person onto the team, unless there are multiple projects for that person to work on, unless there is between a three and five-year plan. Now, I don't know if that has changed. That's why Supergiant was also, when I talked to Amir Rao for my first book, it was the exact same thing. Again, this is how you build sustainable growth over time. Because number can't go up constantly and forever. God. Number can <laughs> sometimes just stay flat. And staying flat instead of dipping, that's a win. That's a huge win. So I don't believe this for a moment. There are smaller companies that are doing excellent things in video games and they don't do this. Yeah, it this is, is one thing to mm -hmm. staff up. It is another thing to aggressively staff up for games that, not games, for ventures yeah. that don't make sense. Yep. Oh boy. Um, so... The one thing I want to address, the new chief product officer of Midwest Games posted something on LinkedIn that properly reframed this ridiculous brainworm sentiment that maximizing shareholder value is the number what one thing. What a bullshit thing to say. And I don't care. And, and look, when I was a Game Informer, I often had to say to people, like, you have to look at this through the lens of who they're talking to. Of course. But at this point, you are you have no. so you have failed so publicly that your audience, anytime you open your mouth at all, is, is going everyone. to be everyone. Yeah. Is going to be everyone. And this is, honestly, I had to do this at Game Daily as well. When we were business journalists, it was really important to understand things in context, including layoffs. Layoffs fucking suck, right? I, I went through a layoff this year my, or last year myself. It's terrible. And putting it in context was an important piece of what my work used to be. Mm -hmm. That's not my work anymore. It's yeah. not. We are not here to contextualize <clears throat> bad decision-making in the C-suite. What we are here to do is hold them accountable. Yep. So... Uh, what this gentleman said, and I'm sorry I didn't write his name down, uh, stakeholders yes. are crucial for making strategy decisions for success. Shareholders are just a stakeholder group. So if you're not considering all of your key stakeholders, and when we talk about stakeholders, and this is a little bit of organizational behavior stuff, they're concentric. This is where Mike gets to actually flex his MBA muscles. Yes. I don't have one of those. There are concentric circles when you think about stakeholders. You've got 
your company and then you've got the people who are closest and you kind of move out from there. That is right? correct. So when we're talking about the stakeholders, we're, it's not just shareholders. Yes, they are in that inner ring, but so are employees. Mm-hmm. So are your core customers. All of those stakeholders need That's to be correct. considered for success. And what we have seen in, in C-suites around this industry is focusing on shareholders and shareholders alone and forgetting that without a healthy, safe, psychologically safe workforce, uh, you do things. not have strong products. You, in fact, end up with... You, you get skull and bones. You, it's really messed up that you pulled that out of my head. It really is true, though, because you end up in situations where things get watered down and watered down and watered down and watered down. Like we're hearing it even even on the other side of the entertainment coin over over in television with Avatar The Last Airbender Mm -hmm. with its live action version is that that project got watered down and watered down and watered down and watered down. And it's not it's not what anyone wants. Yep. And this is what happens when you remove psychological safety. This is what happens when you remove important creative direction, as well as not understanding the assignment. And at the very least, look, if you're an employer, you want your workers to come into work happy, be excited about the work they're doing. Be fulfilled in their jobs because they are going to give it their all within reason. Right. And I think if that doesn't happen, you get Diablo 4. Yeah. Because there, people We are, have so many yep. case studies of where this has gone wrong. We have so many case studies for how this has gone wrong in this industry, especially in AAA. Yep. Double A AA and AAA, like double A less so, but AAA is in trouble. It is. Uh, so additionally, Winchforce claimed that the company took risk, but that some of the developers they acquired didn't have a track record of delivering games. <gasps> I Oh my god. Is this This is the tweet that I that I made that blew up. No 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 and I know that, but is this this is him just pulling his pants down and saying, ha ha ha, I don't know how to do due diligence. Well, that's exactly it. And also that is a problem that we have seen across this industry when everybody was on the freaking gold rush bender. We saw so many deals happen so quickly at such ridiculous sums that there's and we know for a fact that due diligence is not happening. We'll talk about that in six months. Um So, uh, yeah. Uh, So unsurprisingly, despite laying off 1,400 people, 8% of the company's workforce, and planning massive divestments, Gearbox has already been publicly rumored, and there may be some others that have been hinted at, Embracer will not reach its debt reduction goals by March 31st. As of December 31, the company has a whopping 16.1 BSEC in debt. That's 1.5 billion US. The company had about 2.17 billion in debt. That's US. In debt a year ago. How much money were they looking for from the Saudis? Two billion. Uh-huh. The company was targeting having Robbing. that down to eight BSEC or $762 million by the end of this fiscal year. As the parable goes, robbing Peter to pay Paul. Yep. They had already spent the money. They'd already spent it. They have canceled is... 29 games. And it is not. These are unannounced games, for the, I believe. Yeah. They haven't announced. They haven't canceled anything right now. So it's 29 unannounced games have been canceled. That means deals that have been killed. That means projects at studios that have been killed. The domino effect of Embracer Group's blind greed is destroying this industry. It is not just them, but this. But they're leading it. They are. They're leading it. Even though they haven't had the the most layoffs, by the way. They are leading in the destruction of this industry from the inside. 
So I'm going to leave you with this, this terrible intrusive thought. Lars Winchforce strikes me as the guy that is suckered into buying the stupid bundle of currency in mobile and free-to-play games just because it says, quote, best value at the top. Oh. There was no strategy here. This was, this, this was you know what blind I, greed. What I said on, what I said on Twitter stands, you know, when Mike and I were talking about this years ago, when these acquisitions started to really heat up, we're like, there's got to be some bigger strategy here. They've yeah, there's be, something we're not seeing. There's something we're not seeing because we kept having these conversations, even off, even off air, about why, why this company, why this choice, and we thought and we're just like they've got to be playing like 4D chess, and we just don't, we no. just can't see it. No, they no, were, they were barely playing checkers. I just, I just, we just came back from Vegas. We did. I think I saw Lars Winch for us playing roulette. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I didn't actually. He was not in the audience at the Dice Awards. That wasn't him sitting next to no, John No, that was a Nintendo dude. was a Nintendo dude. guy wearing a goddamn Mario suit. Just, I mean... Not not like dressed like Mario, but it was like a, a Mario print on his suit. He's not like, oh, look, it's me. I'm at the Dice Awards. <laughs> Here yeah. we go. Yeah, it was definitely not that. Thank you, though, for brightening up this podcast of like, we're so angry, yeah. but also... Here's Mario for you. Yeah. Look, it's it's ugly out there, folks. It's really, really ugly out there. And while we cannot lay the blame at one CEO's feet, we no, can't... they're all to blame. <laughs> no, not all of them, but a but lot of them. but a lot of them are. And I mean, this is a very let let me let me call a spade a spade here. This is a very sharp turn for us as former business journalists, yeah. because we spent so much time having conversations with folks in the C-suite to better understand the business. Now we're on the other side and we're just like, no, nah, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Y'all are just greedy. I just, uh, I don't know. And you and I actually just uh, submitted a, an academic article about this whole situation. We Not did. the embracers, like the whole industry situation. We did indeed. We'll and share that when it's, uh, when it's in print. But. but it was, the conversation is continuing to evolve. Our understanding is continuing to evolve, but it really comes down to one thing. It comes down to greed. Yep. All right. Oh boy. 40 minutes in already. Um, all right. Real quick. Financial quick hit. Uh, we have a couple of them actually. We've we got uh, Bandai Namco first having a rough one. Um, operating income for the digital entertainment segment at Bandai Namco dropped 96.4%. Now, oh. Elden Ring definitely caused a larger jump, but that doesn't account for everything. Gosh, that sucks. When we go back a couple of years to see how things were going pre-Elden Ring, this is still a massive drop, going all the way back to Q3 of fiscal 20. So this is before the pandemic. Dang. Uh, this represents a 92.7% drop. Uh, overall, the company's healthy. Net sales have climbed 3.9% for the first nine months of the year. Okay, and, that's not bad. Right. And even though operating profit is down overall by 26%, sales and operating profit in every other category are up by at least 7%, as much as 32% for toys and hobby, which well, is a huge I revenue. Mean, I mean, Gunpla, right? Yeah. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out because it seems like From Software purchased the IP, uh, the Elden Ring IP from Bandai Namco, according to the U.S. Patent and uh, Trademark Office. Interesting. Sony and Tencent own a combined 30% of From Parent Katakawa. So this could be super interesting long term for an Elden Ring sequel. Yike. Uh, speaking of that, though, they did just announce that uh, Shadows uh, Shadow of the Erd Tree. I think so. The the the, the DLC, the, the long awaited Elden Ring DLC, is coming on June twenty first. Everyone is so psyched, and you know what? Even though I'm so bad at Elden Ring, I love, like, I just I just want to say it. 
I love it when y'all love your games. Yeah. I love it when y'all love your games. It, the passion and the excitement. Like, shit. That's why we love games, folks. Games are awesome. I'm going to piss everybody off right now. Except for Undertale. I have no idea what you guys see in that game. I'm so wow. sorry. I'm just like, I tried. I played wow. the entire you thing. I just don't see it. You spicy bitch. <laughs> I'm kidding. If you love it, that's great. I'm, that's I, what I, matters I, is you love it, but also play Pacific Drive. Moving on. I really like Pacific Drive. Moving on. I, I bought it. I'm looking forward to playing it. It's so good. It's so good. I'm going to play a bunch of it today. I love it so much. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Hasbro lost a lot of money. Uh, how much money? Not meta amounts of money. Well, that's good because I think that would literally crumble any other company. M Mark Zuckerberg's like, I'm losing money. Woohee! I'm in a headset. <laughs> that's probably true. I have but virtual it's still a lot. Money. Yeah, I have virtual currency. I can currency. pinch it with my hands. I have virtual currency. What's up? Okay, so Hasbro lost more than $1 billion in the final quarter of 2023. Wow. Huge expenses associated with selling its E1 film and TV business far out. Oh, I didn't out realize they did that. Uh-huh. Oh. And, and it far outweighed and the growth from uh, Wizards of the Coast and digital gaming Hold, hold on a second. They lost money selling their film and TV business? I think so, yeah. So, so okay. So when I was in business school, you see, they, we talked about the costs of operating versus the costs of closing. And sometimes the costs of closing are more are more expensive than the costs of... of I, I'm going to need to read into this off off the show because I'm trying to... I am... Wait for it. Okay. Moving on. Wizards of the Coast and Digital Gaming saw a revenue bump of 7%. That's exceptionally healthy in this economy, right? Mm -hmm. Here's the deal, though. 49% decline in its entertainment segment, which includes E1. Hasbro actually agreed to sell E1's film and TV assets to Lionsgate for about $500 million. There it is. That's the fire sale. $500 million. That's it. And that Dungeons & Dragons movie did big numbers. Oh, that Dungeons & Dragons movie is delicious. Uh, and definitely, there's got, there's got to be I don't a sequel coming. I don't know if that's an E1 film thing. It though. is. Is it? It is. I remember seeing it when... I mean, yeah. I don't remember that. I always fell asleep when we turned it on on the planes. <laughs> yeah, but you were there in the theater with me. You were sitting right next to me when we I watched mean, no, it. I mean, no, no, no. I know, but I, don't, I didn't remember that. Yeah. I didn't. I don't remember these things. Yeah. I My brain is like a sieve. There are little, little brain things that are in Baldur's Gate 3. Remember? Oh, that's the way my brain works. It just runs away. Yeah. Anyway, in addition to that, there was a 25% decline in consumer products, which includes Monopoly, Nerf, Transformers, and My Little Pony. Bring back Friendship is Magic, you absolute cowards. Listen, I still can't find the last two seasons of my show. There are only two? I thought there were more than that. Might have been three. Regardless, give me Friendship is Magic. It's the only My Little Pony that matters. The new My Little Pony sucks. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Wizards of the Coast outperformed for Hasbro across the whole of 2023 with revenues up 10% year over year compared to a 15% revenue slide for Hasbro as a whole. Operating profit was, you know, it was like a drop of like 2% in 2023, but that's licensing costs. There were a lot of licensing costs for Magic the Gathering. There was a lot of collaborations that we're happened. very heavily into this right Which now. I don't love. Yeah, either do Just I. Just to be clear. So clearly, Wizards of the Coast is holding up the damn boat, and talent is, once again, disproportionately affected by the C-Suite's myopic bets and entertainment. Congratulations, you suck. Oh boy. Moving on. All right, Xbox rumors were not the tragedy Toxic fans were freaking out about a couple of weeks ago, but changes are coming. In fact, hey, they're here. Uh, Microsoft took time uh, Thursday during DICE to finally, just about a week ago... <laughs> To address the swirling rumors about its plans to bring some of the catalog to other platforms. Shout out to Tina Amini for absolutely crushing that conversation. Yeah, I actually haven't watched it yet, but I, I'm it so glad is, we saw Tina at Dice. It is so good. 
And Tina continues to remind us and everyone else why she's at the top of her friggin' game. Yeah, big, big, big Tina fan. Uh, so the company did confirm it's starting with four titles. At first, did not ex- say which ones, but now we know which uh, which ones they are. So Pentiment came out yesterday on PlayStation Woo! 4 and 5 and Switch. Woo! Hi-Fi Rush is coming to PS5 on March Woo! 19th. Uh, and there's some rumors that it'll eventually make its way to whatever the Switch successor. We'll talk about that later. The Switch successor. Switch successor, yes. Uh, Grounded is coming to PlayStation 4 and 5 and Switch on April 16th. And Good Sea of Thieves is coming to PS5 on April 30th. Uh, Xbox leadership also confirmed it does plan to stay in the hardware business. Again, more on this at the end of the show. Additionally, all first-party games will come to Game Pass on day one, as we've come to expect. Diablo 4 will be the first Blizzard game on Game Pass, but not Game Pass Core which is old Xbox Live Gold. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's happening on March 28th. Um, And I did write something about this before the announcement. It's linked in the show notes, and you can read it on our website, virtuallyconcast.com. Dang, you got through that real fast. Yes. Like, rapid fire. Well, again, because it wasn't really... It was a nothing burger. It was a nothing burger. I mean, as much as I loved the conversation that that Tina led, that conversation could have been an email. Yeah, and and here's the deal. I do not... Especially because it went went the Microsoft rumors and then Sony's earnings with the whole thing of Totoki saying we need to lean more into PC. And then the Microsoft says, like, oh, yeah, people are realizing that we have now reached maturity in the industry and we can't keep gobbling up new players. We need to find existing players in, mar- in places where we aren't reaching them right now. We have to broaden the addressable market, as Nanda loves to say. Widen the addressable market. Yep. It's very important. Listen, I will never... Just like Mike likes to say knock-on effect, yep. that was his thing, especially back when we first became friends. It's all he would say. All the time. Yep. That was like the thing he put in all of his articles, too. For me, it's widening the addressable market. Yep. All right. Okay, so the next the next thing we want to talk about is um, the Epic Games Store year in review for 2023 and their iOS plans in the EU. So here's here's just the highlights from their year in review. There have been over 270 million Epic Games Store PC users, which is an increase of 40 million from 2022. There is a total of 804 million Epic cross-platform accounts currently active. Mm. Daily active users peaked at 36.1 million people. Monthly active users reached 75 million users, 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 um, which is up from last year's 68 million. There are now, so in 2023, there were 1,300 new PC titles, bringing EGS's game total up to 2,900 for the Mm -hmm. entire catalog. Players spent $310 million on third-party applications, which is down 13% year-over-year. This means that fewer people are buying things that aren't Fortnite or Epic Games. Yeah. Players spent over $950 million in 2023, which is up 16% from 2022, including spending on Epic's games. There were 86 free games last year, worth over $2,000 U.S. total. More than 580 million free games in total were claimed. And so for the for the year ahead, this is what we're looking at. There will be a new download manager okay. coming this year. There will be social improvements, preloading for pre-purchases, subscription support, and this is the big one for developers. It is huge. Dynamic sale bundles. So just like complete your complete your collection on Steam. That's what they're going for. Mm. And that good, that kind of flexible pricing that that looks at your library is very, very powerful. No, no, it's very powerful. And it is something that consistently converts. And it's, again, like if, you, if you're if you a developer and you're looking to put your game, your games 
on EGS, those dynamic sale bundles are going to be huge for you. So just keep your eyeballs out for that. All right, moving on to what's going on in the EU. So Fortnite is going to be returning to iOS, but only in Europe. So it's going to be distributed by the upcoming Epic's game, Epic Games Store for iOS. So they're going to be bringing a bunch of that content over to iOS. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to be continuing to insist, or rather, they are continuing to insist that Apple is breaking the law. And that stupid little video with the banana looking angrily at the camera is the epitome of corporate cringe. It is. You're not out for the little guy, Tim. You're out for your bottom line, and you sacrifice nearly 900 people's jobs to that end. I was wrong about you. I was wrong. And with that, we're going to take a break. Virtual Economy is an F-squared initiative, and along with pro bono business consulting for up-and-coming developers, it's a way we are working to give back to the community that has already given us so much. To find out more about F-squared and the services we can provide, including pitch prep, media training, mock reviews, and business strategy guidance, visit our website at fsquared.biz. And we are back, but it's not time for quick hits yet, because first, it's Investment Interlude, where we talk about money, money, money. I make him do it because his voice is prettier than mine. Yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Money, yeah, I love money. No, you don't. Me. No, no, we are not. We are not doing that. This is not the show for this. You absolute wiener. This is not happening. Michael, I'm going to reach across. I'm going to get you. You're going to reach across the aisle? (laughs) (laughs) We're going to... We're gonna we're Wait gonna a find a compromise. We're gonna find a compromise. No, it's you and I are both very hard left. I don't understand how comedy we should... in bio, <laughs> synchronicity in bio, uh, business in bio. Yeah, not money in bio though, because uh, that's not how this works. But listen, money doesn't motivate either of us. Moving on though, no. let's talk. What? <laughs> nothing. What? Nothing. Okay, money doesn't motivate me. I then. can be bought. No, he can't. His version of he can be bought is buy him silver in Destiny 2. Yeah, there you go. Want to get that omni uh, omni tool I'm, I'm finisher. F- I'm familiar with you. Yeah. You're a trash panda. I am. All right. Uh, games and venture capital funding fell precipitously in 2023. Not going to be a shock, but games and VC funding for the entirety of 2023 dropped sharply. We've been talking about this, right? <sighs> Uh, according to InvestGame... Didn't I call this in 2022? Oh, you sure did. Middle of 2022. Uh, according to InvestGame, VC and private deals dropped 75% in 2023 compared to 2022 to $2.7 billion. The number of deals only fell 21% with the average deal size dropping from $19.4 million to $6.7 million. What the InvestGame report doesn't mention is something we've heard privately from a number of sources. Yes. Investors are seeking larger percentages for smaller deals. So they're taking advantage of the precarious situation the industry is in. So if you were going to get... So what we're seeing is depressed valuations. That's correct. Same numbers yep. or about the same numbers uh, size of the deals. Yep. Um, in some cases, obviously, average deal size did drop. But asking for more percentage per dollar, essentially. Yeah. Oh, look, it's a Rex. Hey, buddy. You just came up to say hi? Yep. Very nice. So the... The thing that we will leave you with, our dear developer friends, is please make sure that you get your your deals looked at. If you're in the middle of, of, of trying to secure funding, make sure you talk to your lawyers and not just talk to your lawyers about the finer details and the legalese, but make sure that you're talking to the right people to make sure that the deal itself doesn't suck. Yep. Speaking of things that kind of suck, though, 
Um, MTG has agreed to sell Congregate to Monumental. Mm. So Congregate is not what it used to be, quite frankly, and we'll get into that. But Congregate has been acquired by Monumental from the Modern Times Group, which MTG, um, which bought the developer and publisher in 2017. This acquisition is Monumental's second major investment in its gaming portfolio within a year following the acquisition of Game Circus, which is a Dallas-based mobile game studio. Um, just as a little bit of background, in case you are not familiar with Congregate, this is a storied company that has been around since 2006. It was first established as a gaming portal that devs could upload their games, their browser-based games to. It went live to the public in 2007. Um, Congregate announced that it had closed a deal to be acquired by Swedish entertainment company Modern Times Group for $55 million back in 2017. Emily Greer and Jim Greer were both founders. Mm -hmm. They're siblings. Right? Mm -hmm. How cool is it that you get to work with your with your your sibling? Like, I yeah. love that. I mean, I would well, love I would love to work with my brother. Yeah, on something because like my brother is an extremely awesome person. So personally, that would like make my life. But um, anyway, so Emily Greer left in 2019 and was replaced by former Zynga exec uh, Pani Heratados, who actually had joined the company in 2013. So not like a new installation in the mm -hmm. C suite or anything like that, but. You know, because this person had been around for quite some time. Um, Congregate isn't what it used to be. They've been through a lot of rounds of trying to figure out what their identity is. They do have great technology. They do have the trust of um, browser-based developers. So I guess I guess we'll see what happens. But it's, I mean, Emily left. Yeah. What is Congregate without Emily, quite frankly? so. Um, I have a quick one, some breaking news that we'll cover in depth. Uh, on the next episode, but just got the Circana report in. Okay. Uh, now that Jan doesn't belong in investment interlude. Well, no, this is this is interesting though. It's numbers. <laughs> <laughs> it's numbers. It's fine. It's it goes fine. in investments. Um. So January, the January reporting period was five weeks this year versus four weeks. So just keep that in mind. It happens. There are there during the year there are a couple of five week reporting periods. Mm -hmm. Um, fifteen percent jump. For the for the U.S. for U.S. spending in January year over year. Now remember how bad January twenty twenty three wow. was. Yeah, so that's why I'm bringing it up now because it literally just hit my inbox. Whoa! Um, lots of interesting thing. Also, really appreciate Circana has started reporting um, player counts, active Ooh. users. Um, just a couple things to note here uh, on Steam. Power World was number one, obviously. Uh, and Shrouded was number seven. So you got two games. Also uh, this week. Uh, last epoch came out uh, 1.0, and oh, I know your dad's man. been playing. I bought it. I I've um, been I've been eyeballing it. I think I, I, think I, I, I loaded it up it. just to understand like how it works. Uh, it's definitely interesting. This isn't a video game podcast though. Uh, Power World was number. <laughs> should we Should we start a video game podcast? God no, we don't have the time. Uh, Power World was number three on Xbox, and there's some other interesting learnings in here. We'll cover this in depth next week, but I did want to pop that in. Also, it gives me a, a a little break in between Amanda's two stories. Hey y'all. Oh, okay. I see how it goes. No, 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 no. Don't mind the dogs. Yep. All right. You're up. Okay. So Neon Hive is doing something really interesting and it kind of, it kind of threw me for a loop for a minute when I got the email in, but I'm into it. I am into it. So Neon Hive, which is, um, a PR, I think they do some light marketing as well. And they're, they're based in the UK. Mm -hmm. Great group of folks. Um, their CEO and founder, Karina Abbott, is amazing. I've followed Karina on Twitter for years. So they're going to be focusing, uh, they, they built out a new arm of, of their agency for publishing services. 
Interesting. So, I mean, I like it. Mm-hmm. it some of the games that, that, they're, that they're publishing or providing publishing services for. Because I don't know what the publishing actually looks like. But these are smaller games and they look cool. So Karina Abbott um, said in the release, this feels like such a natural next step for us. We've hit the ground running with our established teams that have huge trust and connections within the industry and that have been helping developers self-publish for the last six years. Mm. I'm Mm. over the moon that one of our first signings is a previous client. So if if they have the bandwidth to actually help developers move through you know, getting through certification, getting, like, doing the things that publishing services are there to do, good for them. Yeah, there was a company that had been doing that also in the UK. I can't remember their name. Now. I have no idea who you're talking about. Let's continue. Um, so there, the lineup includes Villainous Games Studios' Harvest Hunt, which apparently also features the amazing Samantha Bayart. They were so nice. I enjoyed meeting them. I loved hanging out with them. I loved hanging out with them at Dice. It was just, oh my gosh, what a wonderful human being. Um, their, their other, the other game that they're going to be providing these uh, publishing services for um, is Slope Crashers, which is made by solo developer and previous client of Neon, Neon Hive's agency sign, uh, Johan Logstein at Bite Parrot. So okay. this is a fascinating change for Neon Hive, and we are always rooting for women-led businesses. So... While I don't quite understand the business because I don't see the business model yet, I don't see the sustainable business model yet. I'm always glad to root for great companies run by great people. Yep, absolutely. There's that. All right. A group of developers with credits on Horizon Zero Dawn, Doom Eternal, Killzone, and more have formed Fundog Studios. Founded in 2022, the company is employee-owned and now celebrating the announcement of its first game, The Forever Winter. Ooh. Another studio announcement. Uh, Cult of the North, founded by former EA general manager Adam Schaub, serving as CEO, and King senior vice president of business performance Marcus Jacobs, serving as chief product officer after leaving the finals developer Embark Studios, where he was chief creative officer. Interesting. Uh, The team was officially formed in November 22, but announced its first game this week, Project Gundolf. (laughs) <laughs> like Gandalf but with guns with a gun. but there's already a game called Wizard with a Gun so yep uh, the studio secured seed funding from Andreessen Horowitz in January of last year uh, Project Gundalf is mm-hmm. a PvP game built in UE5 and slated for release next year alright we want to take a moment to talk about Magic Mind it's a supplement shot that Manda and I have been taking now for gosh close to a month yeah yeah uh, when Magic Mind reached out to us about a sponsorship, we were entirely skeptical. Like, yeah. it was like, uh, it's is like, this all real? Right. First of all, is this a real email? You want to, you want to, you're with us? Like, okay. you, you know that we're just a couple of dorks that talk about business, right? We are just a couple of do- dorks that talk about business. Uh, but we were talking to them and we told them that we'd only agree to the sponsorship if we believed the product worked. Uh, they sent us some samples. Mm-hmm. We took them. Honestly, the two, the little two ounce shot. I take it every morning. I actually haven't taken mine this morning. Oops. I need to do that. Listen, our... Our, our routine was thrown off. It is podcast morning. And yes. we have to start getting into the habit of like, okay, so podcast morning means we got to get up earlier. We got to have the magic mind shot. Yeah. Uh, but it does actually work. We When we got it, we ran the ingredients by our resident doctor who identified a few. She's already taking like ashwagandha for reduced stress and cortisol reduction. Rhodiola, which reduces fatigue. And choline, which boosts dopamine and supports concentration, learning, and memory. That's what I need. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, it also includes things you've probably heard of, like matcha, vitamin C, turmeric, and mushrooms. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You're right. So we're both going to turn into clickers. All yes. right. Let's do it. Um, that pump up your immune system and are shown to improve neuroplasticity. Again, we wouldn't have agreed to the sponsorship if we didn't think that it worked. For me, listen, I'm very ADHD. I am unmedicated ADHD for reasons that I'm not going to get into here, but this actually works for my brain. It does help me focus. It does help me concentrate. It does help me stay engaged. I combine it with other things that I do because I've built strategies and systems and routine and rhythms for myself that help support that. But Magic Mind has now become an integral part of that rhythm. And the funny thing is, uh, our partner James actually purchased some as well. Well, I guess he heard us talking about it. Yeah, because he heard, he heard us talking about it and he saw us taking it. And so we we have three people in the house that have their Magic Mind shots every morning. And it actually, and it helps him too, who is also an unmade, unmedicated ADHD human. Um, so it this is... Honestly, we're thrilled with it. And if you're interested in checking it out, you can get 20% off your off of your order at magicmind.com with our code virtualeconomy20. Just visit magicmind.com and enter virtualeconomy20 at checkout to claim the offer. And with that, it's time for quick hits. I love that. I love I love when it's time for quick hits because mm. then you sing at me. Oh. And you sing at all of us. Okay, so first up, Maximum Entertainment, Nay Zordix. Uh, has reorganized again. Maximum Games, Modus Games, Just for Games, Merge Games, and developer Modus Studios have all come together under the Maximum Entertainment, Maximum Entertainment. label. Um, Maximum Entertainment is looking to increase IP ownership to tw- to 30% sorry, of its revenue by 2025. They currently have over 100 games in their pipeline. 15 of them are wholly owned IP by Maximum Entertainment. Uh, Sony has announced it's planning PC support for the PSVR 2. While this is great news for people that splurged on the $600 peripheral, we're left wondering once again why Sony even bothered to release it. What? There are no first-party titles that they announced that, that are in development right That's now. That's because we they don't care of. about it. This is essentially them just sending it out to die. I, I don't know. I like, And why would... If I'm a PC VR enthusiast, why would I be purchasing a PSVR 2? Because it vibrates on my face? I don't want things to vibrate on my face. I'm not going to finish the punchline of that joke. Ah, yes. Moving right along. There has been a lawsuit brought um, brought by uh, the CEO of Optic Gaming against Activision and the Call of Duty League. So Hector H3CZ, sorry, CZ, I got to remember where I am. It's okay. Um, Rodriguez, who is the CEO of Optic Gaming, is suing Activision Blizzard for alleged monopolistic practices regarding the publisher's Call of Duty Esports League. He and he is apparently seeking $680 million in damages. So I'm going to give you all a little bit of context here. So before the CDL, competitive Call of Duty, Call of Duty. Call of Duty. <laughs> Call of Duty. Call of Duty. Are We're you gonna done? shoot people. Make sure you follow that guy with the follow over his head. Okay, are we done? Yes. Are we done? Let's not make fun of me. I haven't, had my, of- I haven't had my magic mind yet this morning, <laughs> Michael. Um, this also, can I, I want to give an enormous shout out to Ash Parrish for this over at The Verge because I didn't understand this until she broke it down for me. So before the CDL, competitive Call of Duty tournaments were hosted by independent third-party organizers, which featured an open structure where any team could sign up and participate. 
In 2019, when Activision Blizzard spun up the CDL, all of that changed. Instead of multiple tournaments, there would only be one, and it would only allow for 12 teams to compete and would require franchise fees in the millions of dollars to participate. So the CDL franchise fees, y'all remember o- OWL too, right? Overwatch League? Yep. Those franchise fees were between 20 and $25 million. And the organizations were required to pass on 50% of merchant, merchant event ticket sales back to Activision Blizzard, as well as understand that Atvi had exclusive rights to sponsorships with lucrative ad partners, such as energy drink sponsorships. The suit claims that Activision Blizzard prohibited teams and players from participating in tournaments outside of the CDL, as well as restricting the ability of players to secure their own sponsorships. Mm. So this is directly from the Verge story and from the suit. Quote, Activision secured a 100% monopoly over the market for professional Call of Duty leagues and tournaments, used that market power to eliminate competition and force team owners and players to either exit the market entirely or accept draconian anti-competitive terms that were favorable only to mono- or only to Activision and its monopoly. And of course, Activision came back and was like, it's meritless. It's meritless. I mean, that's that's normal lawyer speak. Yeah. But man alive, it does even even if that ends up being true in the eyes of the law, mm-hmm. Activision Blizzard continues to remain absolute garbage. Yep. Um, hey, I've got a new quick hit that just popped up. It's time for one more quick hit. Yeah, so apparently Warner Brothers had their earnings call. Oh no. Uh, this is from uh, the wonderful Wesley Yin Pool over at IGN. Uh, headline, Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League, quote, has fallen short of our expectations, Warner Brothers says. Uh, and we say, really? <gasps> Could never have known. Um, look, I- I'm going to be honest with you. I'm actually very excited to play this game when I can buy it for $5. <laughs> I actually will never play that game. Even though the story looks interesting, I have never been a DC fan. I never will be a DC fan. You want to play Gotham Knights with me, too? Definitely not. I think I'm going to pass on both of those. I don't like DC, dude. And I don't, for the most part, like superheroes unless they're friggin' X-Men. Well, you have to kill the superheroes. That's the whole point of the game. I don't. Kill the Justice League as King Shark. I like King Shark, though. Yeah. You can also be Harley if you want. You know what? I'll just watch Harley Quinn. Uh, I'll just we watch the still cartoon. Have, we haven't finished the. New I'll season. just watch the cartoon because yeah. it's awesome. That's yeah. a, that's really the only DC nonsense that I can handle. It's just cartoons. All right. Actually, we have a chunk of milestones to round out uh, quick hits. We do indeed. Grand Blue Fantasy Relink, uh, which is the action RPG. Now, the Grand Blue games that we've gotten over here have been the Fighters. Yeah. Uh, but this is the action. I'm actually looking forward to trying this out. I uh, put it on my wish list. Me too. So it's uh, sold one million copies. Good for them. Metro Exodus, also stellar game has hit 10 million units sold. And there's a VR game coming as well. I don't think that I'll play the VR game, Not me but because I just don't, I don't care for VR I don't, I don't in like general. horror in VR. And, and Metro has quite a bit of spicy horror. Yeah, it. it's got some spicy jump scares along the way. But if you've never played a Metro game, starting at Exodus is brilliant entry point. Yep. Uh, Remedy has announced that Alan Wake 2 has sold 1.3 million units as of February 2024. It's the fastest selling Remedy game ever. Woohoo! Uh, this is 50% more than Control sold in its first four months. Yo. Control has now sold more than 4 million units, generating 100 million euros in revenue. Uh, they are banking on the long tail success of Alan Wake 2, but the game is not yet profitable. I'm not super worried. Like, it'll get there. But that also that also brings up a really important note that we continue to talk about. These video game budgets are absolutely out of control. And that will this is going to be a theme in 2024. I assure you we are going to be talking about because now we've had four major breakouts that are sub 20 to 30 million. And they are Pal World, Enshrouded, 
Um, Helldivers 2. Helldivers 2, which I think is probably the most expensive of them, and uh, now Last Epoch. Yeah. These are, I mean, yeah. Speaking of Enshrouded, um, yep. Enshrouded has actually hit 2 million players. I still haven't booted it up because yeah. Pacific Drive is eating my brain. Yeah, I'm looking forward to playing. I have a funny feeling that's another one. That is, it's probably not going to be right away, but I think that one is going to... That's going to have a good next long tail. Week, I expect next week people are going to start realizing, oh crap, this game's great. I'm mm -hmm. looking forward to playing it. Uh, Nier Automata has sold in 8 million units. Holy smokes. Uh, speaking of Pal World, Pal World has now now has 25 million players. 15 million are on PC, 10 million are on Xbox. And finally, as promised, we're talking about a little bit about Helldivers 2. They've been crushing performance projections and Arrowhead servers. The game has now crossed 440,000 concurrent players on Steam. Now, one thing to know is, and I had to have this corrected for me, so thank you everybody online who explained to me what the hell was going on, because the servers were capped at 450, mm -hmm. and we were seeing like 400,000 players on Steam. I'm like, does that mean there's only like 50,000 players on PlayStation? No, because SteamDB and the Steam charts count if you're in the app. So you could be sitting there waiting oh, to get in. queuing up. So... So that doesn't mean there were that many p people playing. It means there were that many people in the app, which semantically that's... is still very interesting. I mean, it's still very interesting, but that's it does not mean that um, we do think that PC players are outnumbering PlayStation players, but not by that severe margin. Uh, it's now in the top 25 CCU of all time, beating out Destiny 2 and Starfield, but even more impressively, GTA 5. Whoa, really? Yeah. Uh, servers are now capped, by the way, at 700,000 as of yesterday, Ayy. a statement from Arrowhead CEO. I guess they're picking it up. They are working hard to keep up with demand. I do want to point out one thing that I saw on LinkedIn that really freaking pissed me off. There is somebody... So... Um, so Helldivers uses PlayFab, which is owned by Microsoft. Yeah. Somebody from a rival hosting company started to accuse Microsoft of purposely tanking Helldivers. Like, it was the most brainworms, bullshit, LinkedIn nonsense I ever saw, and they're getting appropriately roasted for it. Yay! And those were quick hits. I think that that was the nicest, like, outro for quick hits possibly ever. Thank you. It sounded really beautiful. But you know it's not beautiful? Uh, the labor report? The labor report, yeah. as per usual. Okay, well, let's jump in. The labor report is, in fact, ugly. Yeah, just buckle up. We're probably going to be at an hour and 45. You, have, you probably have another half hour of this show left to go. Sorry, folks. We just, we yammered a lot. We did. You we had a lot us. to talk about in the earnings about the state of the industry. All right, so let's let's kick it off with Genvid. According to a post on LinkedIn, live live game company Genvid, which is behind the somewhat successful Walking Dead Last Mile and the widely panned Silent Hill Ascension games, has suffered an unknown number of layoffs. Uh, Daybreak, which is the parent company of studios working on DC Universe Online, EverQuest, PlanetSide 2, and Magic the Gathering Online, not to be confused with MTG Arena, has laid off fewer than 15 people. Scopely has announced that it may be laying off employees that worked on the Kingdom Maker publishing team. So this will reportedly affect 38 people. Scopely told GI.biz that this is because it's ending its publishing partnership with Kingdom Maker developer Global Worldwide. They've been trying to find new roles within the company for the people impacted. Quote, approximately 15 teammates may not find mutual role fits at Scopely. Should that be the case, we will support these individuals as they transition to new opportunities with external career resources and outplacement assistance. We are immensely grateful for the contributions of our Kingdom Maker team members who are affected by this decision. At least they're doing right. Yes. And them? being transparent about what happened here. Yeah, I like that. I don't like this, though. Um, Studio Zaum is laying off nearly 25% of its staff, including the final remaining writer from the original Disco Elysium credits. 
They canceled a standalone expansion to Disco Elysium, codenamed X7. So sad. And laying off 24 workers, including Argo Tulik, which is the aforementioned writer. According to an all-hands email from CEO Ilmar Compass, this leaves a project codenamed P1 on, quote, pause, including two projects codenamed C4 and M0 that remain in active development. I am not going to butcher this poor human's name. Um, Dora K, because I cannot pronounce her last name. I'm so sorry, Dora. And I names are sacred. So she is a former... Yes, she... I, sorry, I needed to check her pronouns. Um, she is the former principal writer at Zaum, compared starting there in 2022 to, quote, being born in Yugoslavia in the 90s. You've just missed the party, and now all you get is bloodshed. She also stated that, quote, the last two months of X7 were rife with crunch, burnout, and conflict. I'm going to predict it now. This studio is going to be Studio Bondi. It is. It's going to be one game, one well-loved game, and then it's going to it's gonna crumble. As an unapologetic... Um, L.A. Noir fan, uh, even though it had an immense amount of especially narrative problems, I loved that game so much. Yeah. You played I, it, what, three times? How many, Manda? Five times, Manda. Five times, Manda. Five times. Press X to doubt. Why are you doubting me? <laughs> not. Bad cop. You played it five times? Yeah. Yeah, I did. You don't have to press me. I can just, I'll just tell you. I've played it five times. Yeah. I really enjoyed that game. What I can I say? Uh, Build a Rocket Boy, uh, which was founded by former GTA producer Leslie Benzies, uh, has confirmed layoffs have happened, but not the number. Now, this is a studio that was formed in 2018, raised $110 million in capital, confirmed its first game everywhere in 2022. I remember this. And also working on a game called Mind's Eye. They're now laying off because of corpo-speak nonsense that hides the reality that maybe the Rockstar approach is incompatible with indie development, even well-funded indie development. Quote, while we have made great progress developing our products, we are now in a position where we need to make changes to the way we work across our business in order to become a more agile studio and to meet the requirements that our projects demand. To achieve that and refocus, we have taken the extremely difficult decision to propose the removal of a number of glo roles globally. This process is ongoing, and we are working with those impacted at this difficult and challenging time. In other words, we spent money expecting to get more money. That's what this is. We expected to, to raise another round. So, while in business, we do say you have to spend money to make money, that does not mean spending money foolishly. Yes. Because... Lars. Because it, it seems like the layoffs are hitting a publishing department? I don't understand this. Like... Okay, it sucks that it also hit QA and art because that that's awful. But why does the studio have a publishing department so early? That's not necessary. Like now, biz dev makes sure, sense. but now if by, if by publishing you mean release management and you're self publishing, fine. But that doesn't require an entire department. No. That's maybe like a handful of people. Also, there are plenty of places you could outsource some of this work. I mean, yeah, that's what keywords is for. Yep. Uh, I, here's my big question. Why are we seeing so many studios form and launch multiple full projects at the same time? Pritanium Media did the same thing. <gasps> that crumbled. It's not sustainable. They're not the only ones. I mean, look, I don't know what's going on with Probably Monsters, but they already spun up how many studios and are then spun a couple off already, right? They spun one of them off to Sony? I don't remember, to be honest. Like, and I don't want to, I don't want to be talking yeah. about, but... I, I just, look, if you're going to build a new studio, especially right now, form, stay small until you absolutely must hire. We talked about this already. This episode, grow methodically. We talked about this. Stay focused. It is old, old business knowledge 
they say this all the time. And listen, I don't have an MBA like Mike does. My MBA is from the from the school of hard knocks and learning it the hard way. You hire slowly. Yes. Very, very slowly. And you do it sustainably over a long period of time so that there is a reason to keep them. Okay. All right. So layoffs are hitting Game Loft in Toronto and Ukraine. Pocket Gamer reports that at least 38 people are affected in Ukraine. Game Loft, which is a French company, employs 600 people in Ukraine across two offices. Now, the context here is that, oh, people are returning from war back to their jobs, and now we have too many people. So we're laying people off. Which... This isn't... Like, 38 people is not... 500 people, but these sure. are still people. Yes. And that have, people who have been through hell. Now, now, I don't know if they're laying off the people who are coming back from war or if they're laying people But it doesn't off. matter. This is still this is still a country that has been through hell. Yes. Absolute hell. Um, um, as for Toronto, yeah. we're still waiting for the severity of the cuts, but word from employees indicates that the numbers may be significantly higher there. The cost of living, like, as a Canadian, I know the cost of living in Canadian cities is absolutely untenable and my heart is broken for folks that now have to search for a job to remain in Toronto like that that sucks so much yep an unknown number of employees have been laid off from support studio disruptive games the news hit on LinkedIn so we're waiting on an official announcement or confirmation disruptive games has worked on a number of recognizable titles including Diablo 2 resurrected Tony Hawk's pro skater 1 and 2 and bloodstain I think we're going to end the labor report on a couple of not so bad stories. Yeah, I, I did that on purpose. Oh, thank you. I really I mean, I made that. these things happen. So you can actually thank me for this good news. You're welcome. Why are you like this? I don't know. Who hurt you? Yeah, I don't know. All right, let's start off with a unionization story. Woo! Woo! And this is a very positive one. So Flying Wild Hog has unionized! Exclamation point. Embrace our own studio. But it is This is an embrace our own studio behind titles like Shadow Warrior and Space Punks. This news was shared on LinkedIn. The union is the third in Poland to be recognized under the Polish Game Dev Workers Union. It is also the first Embracer-owned studio to unionize, and not a moment too soon considering the garbage at Embracer. The Polish Game Dev Workers Union also represents workers at Cyberpunk 2077 developer CD Projekt Red and This War of Mine maker 11-Bit Studios. And things might not so be so bad at Toys for Bob like we... Oh, yay! Yeah. Uh, in the last episode, we reported that Toys for Bob was heading towards a closure, but new information indicates that might not be the case, uh, though the studio has suffered layoffs. Approximately 35 people of the 85 or so on staff have been laid off. The physical office is closing, but the team is reportedly going remote. Oh, that's... You know what? I like that. At least there's that. Yep. And apparently, there are new projects at the studio, Ooh. and our fingers are still crossed for those Skylanders re-releases that I make my summoning circle for every night. So, fingers are very, very crossed uh, on this one, and that Toys for Bob survives, because there, there's, there's such a lot a, of creativity like, storied there. storied history yep. there. One of, one of the most important studios, quite frankly, as far as we're concerned, in the U.S. Yeah. All right. We got one more thing to talk about now that uh, Labor Report is over. We got to talk about them Switch 2 rumors. We really do. And look, VGC reported on this. Eurogamer, Bloomberg corroborated. Like... <sighs> so, what we had been expecting was that this was going to be the year we were going to see a Switch successor. Yep. Probably Holiday Quarter. Yep, that's what we were anticipating because yep. it's been seven years. And and quite frankly, that's where a lot of market projections have been built around because a new console is a nexus moment for for the industry. Yeah. And we'll talk about why that is in, uh, in, in a moment. 
However, these reports from VGC, Eurogamer, Bloomberg, indicating that we may not see the switch until earliest Q1, March 2025. Now, I'm going to say... Q1, 2025. Q1, 2025. Yeah. So, uh, earliest March. So, it would be exactly when the switch, the same time period as when the switch released. That's correct. All right. I'm going to set the table here, and, and there's some things you need to understand. Earlier in this episode, we talked about how Microsoft and Sony sell their consoles as loss leaders. Nintendo does not. Nintendo actually, to the best of my understanding, has never sold a console as a loss leader. Therefore, that is correct. That's my so, understanding. So as well. when you see the, so you you may have often wondered, hey, why are Nintendo consoles underpowered compared to Microsoft and Sony consoles? That's one of the reasons because the components that they have to use need to be less expensive, so they can sell the console at the target price point and not lose a dollar on the hardware sold. They they try to at the very least break even, but but Nintendo would prefer to sell those consoles at a bit of a profit. Yeah. The it's margins true. aren't great, but it is better than being a loss leader. Correct. So, here's what happens when a new console comes out. Accepting what happened when the Xbox, th- uh, the Xbox Series and the PlayStation 5 came out in 2020 because the pandemic really upended what we expect at the end of a generation. When a new console comes out, or prior to a new console coming out, we see what we have been seeing, which is hardware sales decline. Um, if you've looked at Nintendo's announced titles, and that doesn't mean there's stuff in the hopper, they are very good at keeping their mouth shut. But Peach, Peach, Peach. Well, Peach is coming, peach. right. But after Peach, I don't know that there is much of anything first party announced. I mean... So if they're sitting on more Metroid Prime, <laughs> if they're sitting on Wind Waker uh, or Twilight Princess for, for Switch, Wouldn't this would be, be nice? a good moment. Wouldn't that be nice? When a new I've console... still never played Wind Waker. Oh, you gotta play. It's so good. And it's such a beautiful game. When a new console comes out, it's not just about selling the hardware, obviously. The hardware is the entry point into the home. The software. The software. It's building up that software library that really matters because software is what sells hardware. Absolutely. So, and Nintendo, their first party lineup is always going to be strong. Um, So what ends up happening is you see a spike in Hardware sales, of course. Mm -hmm. You see a spike in software sales. And it's not just new first-party titles. You see a spike on ports. Mm -hmm. So remember, I mean, one of the Wii U's biggest problems was every... I remember the E3 presentation where it was just like, that's been out on other systems for years. That's been out. That's been out. That's been out. So you run into this problem where if you have too many ports, it isn't great. But there there are opportunities there... Especially if the Switch 2 is fully backwards compatible and we'll have a boost mode for Switch 1 games, what will end up happening is you'll see the back catalog across first party and third party see a spike in catalog sales as well. So you see this ripple effect. We saw that with the release of the Switch. Absolutely. That's what was important. It was a different hardware modality for, for Nintendo. And people were really excited about it. So, I mean, when the eShop spun up and we had a bunch of like, Awesome little indies that were coming out both on PC and on Switch. Like, it was novel. It was interesting. Mike, why... Oh, and accessories. Don't forget the number of accessories that come out. Well, Nintendo... Like, the Switch's accessories were mostly about organization and carrying cases, Mm -hmm. as well as Additional Joy-Cons, because they're expensive, and Pro Controllers. Oh, I forgot about the Pro Controllers, because I never used them. Yeah, and when the first Switch came out, now the new Switch docks have an Ethernet port. The old ones required an adapter. There's a lot of accessories that come out, both first party and third party. Again, we're seeing a huge spike in spend. I always appreciate it when Mike schools me when I forget things. That's I, I, I'm the guy who buys all these accessories, by the way. I bought the PlayStation 5 camera, and I still don't know why. 
I still don't know what it's used for. I also don't know why you bought it. But Maybe I, for streaming. I don't know. I, I don't remember. All I know is that whenever it, whenever Until Dawn comes to PlayStation 5, I want to get the heartbeat monitor and I want to... There's a heartbeat monitor? There's a heartbeat monitor that you can purchase that, that is compatible. I did not know that. That's hilarious. Yeah. And, and and that you can you can stream using it, Very and cool. that your your audience can see it when well, you when you start getting. Stressed I mean, it's out. coming to PC as well. Might as well just do it on PC. Well, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. But anyway, I love Until Dawn. Yep. Um. So, well, I do have a question though. Yes. Like, given all of this, why is pushing it to twenty twenty five for like for it's not just fiscal. This is calendar twenty five. Yes. At earliest. At earliest. Earliest. If they if. If it's March, it squeaks in at the end of the fiscal year, which is still great, but... Sure. And why is this detrimental? And what does this do for developers and the game industry at large, from your perspective? So, there's a couple things to understand. First of all, yes, fiscal years are important on the company level. Calendar years are important on the industry level. Correct. And this actually throws industry projections completely off for 2024, if this is accurate. And it may not be. Just to be clear, we don't tend to, to talk about rumors, but because this is something that directly affects our audience, namely you all, that actually make games, or if you're here because you're an enthusiast, welcome. We're, we're very glad you're here. But this does affect the industry at large. It affects developers yep. and it affects consumers. Absolutely. Uh, so... Here's what I expect will happen. If this is true and it does not launch until March 2025, we're going to see a depressed holiday quarter this year, which is not good because we already know that there's going to be no major Sony first party titles. We don't know what's going on with Microsoft, although we do know Indiana Jones is due Q4. Right. And I'm sure that like, do we do we have some do we have a release date for Senua? For how long? Uh, yeah. Too? Yeah. It's coming May, I think. Okay. Finally. God, I've seen so much of that game over the last six years, seven years. Six years. So we're going to see an anticipated spike in spending across categories turn into a dip. Yeah. The Switch, I do not expect to move much at all this nope. holiday. Nope. Um, I don't think they will. If we, like we talked about, so go back to our last episode. I actually talk about the breakdown between the different versions of the Switch and how the different versions have been selling. Yep. Um, I, I expect that this may cause some software problems for people who are planning on sim shipping on, on Switch 2. So now you've got... Now, on one hand, oh, not sim shipping means you get another beat. Sure, but if people already purchased those games on other platforms, or that's PC or, or yeah. Xbox or PlayStation, suddenly or, that means your projections on Switch 2, where, might, where you might have had a lot of sales, now flatten out. Or, in the worst case scenario you signed an exclusive deal and your game and is now delayed and therefore you're not going to see any revenue in 2024. That is correct. That is the thing personally that I yep. am worried about for studios, especially for indies. Now I'm not saying that Nintendo goes out of its way to do stuff like this. It doesn't tend to. And it, I'm not saying that, you know, I know of any exclusive deals in this particular Avenue Getting an exclusive deal with Nintendo is very difficult from my understanding, especially if you're not a giant studio. Mm -hmm. So in, in all, this does upend what we anticipate from, uh, from the market because of Sony's input. Now, earlier in this episode, we talked about Sony's challenges with promotions. That's correct. And uh, the, the reading between the lines there is that they haven't seen the cost savings on components and manufacturing. Yeah. 
That directly impacts mid-generation mid refreshes, and here's why. When you have pro models, and we'll call them pros just for the, just for the sake of an easy label, um, what ends up happening is your base models, your original launch models, drop in price. Yeah. They become your entry point for more cash-constrained consumers to come into the, come into the market, which then sells more software. Yep. Because software, you've got a catalog of, of software that's now more affordable than it was at 60 or $70 an entry. Absolutely. So you're actually broadening the market with those pros. You are generating repeat hardware sales from people like us who already own a base model but want the, the, the sexiest model. We're always going to be, like Mike said he was a sucker for the double dip. I'm a sucker for hardware. Yeah. I've always been a sucker for hardware. Y'all, Although you, you did have, not get an OLED because you got your Animal Crossing Switch. My Animal Crossing Switch is right there on my desk. Mm. Um, yes, I have not gotten an OLED because I'm like, I love my Animal Crossing Switch so much. I don't want to like not have it. Yeah. You realize, though, you could just take those Joy-Cons off and put them on an OLED. Right. But look at the back of my Switch. My, oh, right. The back of the, 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 back back of the is beautiful. display. Has, yeah, I yeah it's, it's really pretty. Like, I don't... I'm satisfied with my Switch, but I also... Anyway, that, that's that's neither here nor there. But normally, I am a sucker for hardware. Right. That is who I am. That's why I have so many controllers, because I love I love that. That is the thing that I always invest mm -hmm. in, is what are the different kinds of ways that I can play games? Yep. How many different ways can I interact with games um, from like a hardware perspective? So yep. Mike's the sucker with the software double dip. I was like that with Bastion. I have it on four different platforms. And I've played that game seven times all the yep. way through. Um, so my hope was switch to this holiday, giving Microsoft and Sony more time to re recognize cost savings, which I'm not sure will actually happen. It may not because I don't believe that components are less expensive. Yeah. Quite frankly. And I, and I think because even though consumers don't see this as that much of a jump between the pro versions of the last generation and this generation, like y'all. Those those hard drives all by themselves, quite frankly, and moving into solid state, that was that was a huge amount of of difference between right. the last generation. And I have one. not seen solid state memory prices come down. They have not. So that could be part of it. Uh, remember that the usable memory in the PlayStation 5 at launch was 650 megabytes. It was not a full terabyte. Gigabyte. Gigabyte. Thank not you. megabyte. Right. Gigabytes, not not a full terabyte. I was about Thank to you. I, I was about to be like, it's all are, right. we, are we going Thank back for, to PlayStation 3? Thank you for doing my conversions for me. I love you. Um, so. That's what I'm here for. I appreciate Hardware it. Hardware stuff. Yep. Um, the other option is we do see pro models. And if we do, because the tolerance for loss leadership is only so much, we're not going to see, we may see very, very slight price drops back to what they were. Remember, they raised the price on the PS5. They did. Um, and I think that in that same vein, we're going to continue to not see bundles. No. And I think that's the other that's the other motiv motivating thing around the holidays. But I think if we do see pro models, I think we're going to see them at seven to $800, which is ridiculous. That's Remember when expensive. the PS3 was announced at like, what, $599.99? Oh, that must have been nice for you because I paid $1,100 Canadian for mine. Moving on. <laughs> Actually, we bought it for my brother who... Mm -hmm you know, like paid us back over time. But yeah, that was, that was what we ended up paying was like close to $1,100, all tax included, Jeez. all in. Like it was a stupid expensive 
piece of technology. And like, I don't regret purchasing it because that model of the PlayStation 3 was able to do some flavor of back compat. Yeah, the, the old fats were able to play PS3 games. Uh, oh, PS2 games, rather. Thank you. Um, all right. Anything else to add on this before we jump into a couple listener questions? No, I don't think so. I, it's just, it's such a bummer. If it turns out that this is true, it's a bummer. It's going to be a bummer for the industry. It's going to be a bummer for consumers. I mean, we were talking about it again on the engaged family gaming podcast where the switch runs our families, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's an, an integral piece of technology. I, I will say this. It gives me joy, uh, to find out that unicorn overlord, which is not coming to PC because it's a vanillaware game runs at 60 frames per second on Switch. So I was able to switch. Now, and I, I, we, I've been buying a lot of games on Xbox um, just love, because of the commitment. I love Vanillaware games. Yeah. So I, I so I now have it pre-purchased or pre-ordered for Switch. If y'all have not played 13 Sentinels, you've got to play it. All right. Anyway, this is not a video game podcast. So uh, let's move on to some of our listener questions. So we had an awesome question. We have two awesome questions this week yeah. from two of our listeners. So from Greg Alderton... This was his question, and actually, you had an excellent discussion over on our Discord server about yep, this. Yep, and then turned it into a LinkedIn post, and because then, it was such a good conversation. It was such a good conversation, yeah. And I, what the heck was I doing? Oh, I went snowboarding that day. You went day. snowboarding that day. I went snowboarding, yeah, because apparently, being nearly 38 years old and going snowboarding and paying for it all week with your body, it's just such a great time. Mm -hmm. Anyway, moving on. Um, why does it seem that no one has ever truly cracked the games as a service? Um, and, cracked and, games as a yeah, service. Yeah, so we kind of dug into this. It was Andy Pan and Greg and I had this this long conversation about this. And it's not that nobody's ever cracked games as a service. I mean, again, we talked earlier in this episode that MMOs are kind of a different creature. Um, so let's pull them out. Yeah, because MMOs, they, they operate on a completely different scale, number yep. one. And two their content is just completely different. They are technically the original game as a service, but it's not in the same capacity. The live ops that exist on MMOs is very different than live ops that exist on mobile and for these live service games. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, one of the things you, you and Matt Piscatella and I were joking about the fact that this term is too ridiculous. Like the term games as a service is too broad. It's way too broad. And it's something that we've even talked about on this show. Yep. So... Gosh, and I think we've talked about this a little bit before. It's not that nobody's cracked it, and there are some games that have been that have been around for a long time, not including MMOs, um, that that are going to survive at solid player counts, right? Yeah, absolutely. And solid recurrent revenue, like Path of Exile, right? Sure, Path absolutely. of Exile is actually a really good. It's a really good example of a of a live service game that has been supported over a number of years that people still play and people still love. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I think there were a couple things that happened. Uh, the ability to engage in recurrent monetization on console was yeah. such a huge deal for executives. They focused on the on the money and stopped real and didn't focus on the fact that people have a limited amount of time. So they built these monetization and and engagement schemes into these games. And I don't mean schemes as a negative. Just no, as no, a, no. This is like a, literally as a business term. Yeah. And what ended up happening was they created a, an environment where if you want to fully engage in a game, you've got to log in on the regular, but there's only a limited amount of room in somebody's schedule, especially adults with full-time jobs uh, or extensive gig work. Um, like I love, I love that he like, he nodded to me because I don't have a full-time job, but the amount of work I do in a single week, he's like, how? Yeah. <laughs> Um, 
means that it's impossible to engage in more than one, maybe two of these and get the full experience and feel like you are... Why would I buy a premium battle pass for a game I'm only going to play once or twice during the season? I'm not going to. So the the thing that I really do want to drive home is that this is part of a larger conversation about the attention economy, right? You're not just competing with other games. You're competing with Netflix. Mm -hmm. You're competing with going to the movies. Not to say that lots of people go to the movies these days, because quite frankly, I think that the pandemic, the quarantine for the early pandemic um, of COVID-19 really broke us. Yep. And we just stopped going. It's it's so, and, and I, I have whole rants about this, but like, that's neither here nor there. The point is, is that you are also competing with all of the other things in a person's life that can take their attention, right? Mm -hmm. Whether that's on the entertainment side or that is work. We are like, we are in quite frankly, unprecedented times where the dollar goes not nearly as far as it used to. Inflation is killing the middle class and folks are scrambling just to keep a roof over their heads and feed their kids and themselves. So you are competing with all of those different interests and quite frankly, having like with, with the world itself falling apart on any given day. Mm -hmm. This These are the things that are ripping our attention away on a daily basis where you have to, you, you're competing with all of that and other games. Absolutely. Um, this will be a conversation that we continue to engage in. There's a reason why we continue to reference the Gassacre uh, as more game, as, as more live service games get killed. Maybe we need to have a, a GDC talk about a reflection on the Gassacre of 2023. Ooh. Every all once right. in a while, I have good ideas. Yep. Uh, all right, second question from Charles Hartford. With lots of talk going around about the budgets associated with high-end AAA games, they're now regularly over $100 million, if not more. Do you think we're going to see a reduction in this style of release? Will the biggest budgets come to be reserved for your God of Wars and Final Fantasies? And if so, do you think dialing back in some elements will hurt player adoption of games, or do you think many players won't really care as long as the games are fun and provide an entertainment value? It is the latter part, quite frankly. I think it comes down to value. If you look at a game, like I, I play lots of different kinds of games. Y'all know that, mm -hmm. but I play a lot of indie games, especially. Yeah. I play indie games from all across the spectrum, from tiny little micro games to Princess Farmer, all the way up to games like Pacific Drive, which are much higher in production value. Mm -hmm. It comes down to the kind of experience that you want to have as a player, the things that you value as a player. A lot of the time, if you have to spend in America $70 on a new game and in other countries it's more expensive mm -hmm. you can only do that a few times a year if you make that if you make that smaller you make that price tag smaller consumers and players are going to be able to engage with different kinds of games over time game pass is not the be all end all subscriptions are not the be all end all sometimes you just want to own the damn thing so i think that it comes down to if the value is there mm -hmm. If the unique sales proposition is there, then it won't matter if it's a smaller budget because it doesn't come down to budgets. We nope. just finished having this conversation about games like Pal World and Shrouded, um, Helldivers 2. These are games that are not made for $100 million. Right. By the way, Helldivers 2 is not a cheap game. No, 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 all in not. marketing, we believe it's 20 to $30 million. Which is fine. And it's that that's still for a game of this magnitude in terms of player engagement, mm -hmm. that's huge. That's oh, totally. enormous. But we also know the flip side is, and this is this is a much more in the weeds 
piece of the conversation, Power World, for instance, their server costs were half a million a year or yeah. half a million a month, rather. Half because, a million a month. And so there is a scale for online games, which is also part of the problem. Yeah. Um, all right. So the other thing I want to say is I want to differentiate God of War from Final Fantasy. I actually think that, that Square Enix has made a tactical error with Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. They are releasing it only on PlayStation 5. We know that budget is probably enormous. It is a well-liked game. The reviews are coming in very strong. It is not just liked, it is beloved. Yes. People are not just liking it, they are falling over themselves for it. And yep. that is awesome. P.S. We love video games. We love it when you love video games. Yes. That mean, but however, Remake has never launched on Xbox. It took a while for it to come out on PC. Yep. Well, now, that's a Jim Ryan decision, quite frankly. Well, I mean, I, I don't. I assume that there was an exclusivity deal signed, right? Sure. But I think this is a mistake. I think releasing it, unless you are getting a ton of money, because the last thing I want to hear from Square Enix is, "Oh, the game didn't make as much money as we as we thought." And we can't figure out why. You only released to a portion of your audience. Square Enix has done this how many times? Oh, I, I've lost count. We like, I mean, the most egregious of which was the Tomb Raider series, right? Because they signed a deal with Microsoft. Yep. Um. So God of War, the value. So here's the thing about first party games. First party games are not the same as third party games. They are not because first party games, even if they are not exclusives in the way we used to look at exclusives, mm -hmm. they drive hardware adoption, brand recognition, the reminder advertising. There's a whole piece of it. It is. So I do think your first party games like Spider-Man and God of War and Wolverine and those titles are going to still get large budgets because the marketing spend with them isn't just mark. It's using the game as a vehicle for, for marketing the hardware. Correct. So that's still going to happen. Even I, though there still aren't bundles. I, yes. I expect we are going to see an adjustment in the way third party publishers look at exclusivity deals. And it's going to have to be. And I mean, this has also been a reckoning how many years coming. Oh, decades like, at this point. It's at least 15 years yes. at this point. It's It's been a it's been frustrating as analysts and back when we were journalists as well to be like, what are you doing? Now, if I'm if I'm EA or Ubisoft with their quadruple A games. <laughs> Sorry. Um, that was a really weird. That was a weird. Uh, with the exception weird. of GTA. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at our games and looking at our budgets and I'm looking at what's blowing up with players uh -huh. and I'm shitting my pants. Not because our games aren't good, not because our games won't sell, but because players are finally putting their money behind. Give me like, what is it? Shorter games with worse graphics made by healthier teams or something like that. Honestly, that's not universal. It's not universal. It's not universal. It is something that a lot of developers have been calling for. Mm -hmm. It is something that many critics have been calling for. It is something that the hyper online consumer base has been calling for. But I think what it really does come down to is providing value. And your value is going to be different depending on your player personas that you are catering and marketing the game to. Now, can you imagine if you're a developer and you worked on Assassin's Creed Valhalla, a game that was, by all intents, if you did everything, well over 100 hours of gameplay. Yeah. And you did something. You were responsible for a quest line that you couldn't access until, let's say, 40 hours into the game. What percentage of players actually saw your work? Probably 10% max. And now let's say I'm an executive and I'm looking at completion rate on my games. And I'm looking at the telemetry. 
I mean, completion rate is not quite right, but like, you it's have, not super. But you've got deeper. You've got deeper telemetry, right? Triple, you, you can AAA see what has, people. AAA has excellent telemetry with its games. I, I'm looking at seeing how much of this, how much of the content that we spent on our player are, is the average player encountering in the game. Why are we spending all this money? I'm, I'm just, I'm wondering why these questions. Because it's like, oh, look at the size of this map. It's like that's not selling. That 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 hasn't sold players for years. That's not a feature anymore. It goes deeper than that, and then we do need to wrap up because we are heading. We are heading into the oh, near God. hour two mark. We are so sorry. Listen, we are chatty today. The last thing that I want to say on this, because there is there is something in this that is that is much more sinister. I think from an executive perspective, it is it isn't just about why are we paying for this. It is why are we paying people for this? Oh, we God. could be using AI. Oh, for this. now I'm gonna barf. Yeah. Well, that's the thing that we're seeing more and more. And like, look, as someone who has contacts in a lot of major studios, as you know, whether or not they're content designers or they're narrative designers or they're writers, they they are worried about their jobs because AI is an ongoing conversation from the executive level down. How do we make games that are passably okay mm-hmm. that players won't notice that there is that there is AI content? How do we do this so we can get rid of people? I'm going to barf. Because you're right. So we're going to end on that. <laughs> I don't love that. I, I think that... Like, I don't, I don't want to end on that. I think that it in a much more compassionate capacity, I think AAA is in trouble, in big trouble. Oh, yeah. They are going, there is not just a reckoning on the way, there is a reckoning underway. And I think that we are going to, as much as we have been seeing the squeeze in the middle with AA developers and publishers, I think that those budgets and lower are the ones that are going to be more sustainable over the longer term in terms of investment, in terms of capital, in terms of what players are looking for. People want to have either a game that Mm -hmm. they are invested in, whether that is a Madden or that is a Call of Duty or that is Destiny. They want a game and then they want smaller games as supplements. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. And I think the challenge is that it's going to take years to steer the AAA ship in order to adjust to this new this new learning. How many years? Which isn't new. Ubisoft did this with Blood Dragon and I interviewed Yves Guimau in 2013 and said, hey, this is a brilliant idea. You should do this more. And he's like, eh, I don't know. And I mean, we, we've seen it even over at Firaxis yep. with, with XCOM, right? Yeah. With Chimera Squad yep. and like making something that's a little bit more bite-sized and experimental and focused on, you know, but it, again. Like Very, we, so let's end here, yes. right? Triple A publishers, you can still fix this in the interim. Spin up smaller projects. Yes. Spin Use those as, as testing grounds, as learning grounds. Be experimental. Be shorter. Give people... Be Assassin's Creed Mirage indie. did this almost. Be indie. Yep. Think indie. Because that's what matters now. Be nimble. Be indie. Experiment. Play. Games are about play. And if you are not playing in your work, you are going to create games that are subpar. Period. Boom. Great way to end. Thank you for listening to the Virtual Economy Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Virtual Econcast. We're both kind of back on Twitter for now. I am at Futterish, F-U-T-T-E-R-I-S-H. 
And I am just my name, which is Amanda Farrow. We are also on Blue Sky as virtualeconomy.bsky.social. I am ritualmagic.bsky.social. That's with a W in front of the ritual, like yep. as in like writing. I'm, I'm also footerish.bsky.social. Uh, we also post the show on LinkedIn on the F Squared account and our personal accounts. You can subscribe to our RSS feed at virtualeconcast.com. You can also listen to us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon Pocket Casts, and there's always one more. Cat! Ah, Pocket Sand! Pocket Sand. So if you enjoyed our shenanigans today, as depressing and dour as they have been over the last, dear God, 18 months, oh, that just hurts, um, please subscribe, and if possible, on your platform of choice, review the show. We we really do love hearing from you folks, and we, we love reading those little love letters that you leave us. Indeed. You can DM us with questions or send them to podcast.fsquared.biz, and of course, a great place to ask us questions is in our Discord server. If you are interested, uh, hit us up on Twitter or on uh, Discord. I'm at footer, F-U-T-T-E-R. If you're sending me a friend request, hit me up somewhere to let me know that it's you so I don't think it's spam and somebody trying to get me to click a malicious link. Or introduce yourself. Or introduce yourself. That's also okay. I think I, think I, now, I do have DMs open on, on Discord. If I don't, yell at me. Uh, but that is it for this very long episode, but hopefully very educational and interesting episode. Thank you for listening. So remember to wash your hands, stay hydrated, and be good to one another. We will see you soon. Thank you.